Welcome to the Classic Speeches Podcast, presented by BYU Speeches, bringing you treasured talks from 70 years of BYU devotionals. Be sure to check out our other podcasts by searching BYU Speeches wherever you get your podcasts, or by visiting speeches.byu.edu slash podcasts. This devotional address, entitled Codes and Covenants, was given on October 18, 1994, by Gordon B. Hinckley, then the first counselor in the first presidency of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. I'm grateful to be here this Tuesday when all of us are basking in the afterglow of Saturday's victory. <laughs> I congratulate Coach Edwards and his associates. I compliment most warmly the members of the team. I remind the coaches of the words of Casey Stengel, who, after winning the 1958 World Series, said, I could have done it without my players. <laughs> Our special elation is understandable. BYU beat the team which, over all the years of football, has been considered most formidable. Notre Dame is the university that won seven Heisman trophies and 11 national championships. It is the school of the Knut Rockne tradition, of the Four Horsemen, of Joe Montana and other greats, the Fighting Irish of South Bend. Last Saturday's contest was a particularly interesting one. Here were the teams of two great universities, each sponsored by a religious institution. Notre Dame can take consolation from the fact that they won two out of the three games BYU's played with them. But it was sweet victory on Saturday, and I think the sports pages of every major newspaper in the country must have carried on Sunday the name of Brigham Young. It was a great victory, but it was one game in a series of many. With that one behind us, we face the future. What we do in the weeks ahead will determine whether we are champions or also rans. For as Ecclesiastes reminds us, the race is not to the swift nor the battle to the strong, but to them that endure to the end. This brings me to the message I have this morning. This, I understand, is Honor Week at BYU. And it has been suggested that I say something concerning the honor code and the dress code. I suppose there are many who wonder why a great university like this need have an honor code. Isn't it rather childish, some of you may think, to require the university that men and women with your maturity should be asked to subscribe to a code of conduct and a code of dress? Admittedly, it is a rather rare thing in this day and time, but codes of behavior are not new, nor are they out of date. Athens in Greece was once recognized as the great and unique city of the world. Edgar Allan Poe wrote of the glory that was Greece and the grandeur that was Rome. It was not only a seat of government, but of learning and of commerce of art and science. Each young man of Athens, when he reached the age of 17, took this oath. 
We will never bring disgrace on this our city by an act of dishonesty or cowardice. We will fight for the ideals and sacred things of the city, both alone and with many. We will revere and obey the city's laws, and we will do our best to incite a like reverence and respect in those above us who are prone to annul them or set them at naught. We will strive increasingly to quicken the public sense of civic duty. Thus, in all these ways, we will transmit this city not only less but greater and more beautiful than it was transmitted to us. That solemn commitment and its subsequent expression in the lives of the young men of Athens became the foundation of principle and behavior which made of Athens the cultural capital of the world. Presidents of our nation, justices and judges of our courts, our legislators, and public officers of many levels raised their arm to the square and solemnly pledged to uphold the laws of the land and prosecute their responsibilities with fidelity and honor. The marriage ceremony of many faiths, including our own, is a covenant made in solemnity. All of us in this country who are citizens of this nation salute the flag and pledge our allegiance to it and to the nation for which it stands. Jehovah of old made a covenant with Abraham and his posterity that he would be their God and they would be his people. Codes and covenants are as old as mankind and as contemporary as marriage. I remind you that the Honor Code of Brigham Young University was not initiated by the board and the administration. It is an outgrowth of the action of a group of students who felt strongly that the acceptance of a code of honor by those who attended this school would have a salutary effect upon all. By an evolutionary process, it has continued with modifications until it has become the standard for the behavior of those of the university endorsed by its board of trustees. It is for all students to accept and agree to live by. A statement of principle concerning honesty, charity, purity, modesty, and commitment. It is not an inflexible law written on tablets of stone. It is a code of conduct. It is a statement of principles. It is a guide and a reminder concerning expected deportment. It is no more than might be expected of any good Christian and no less than might be required of one who comes to this great institution sponsored by the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. The code is a guide, not a rigid set of rules. It does not address every specific issue. It is a table of standards set forth clearly enough that there can be no question concerning what is expected and yet flexible enough to allow some freedom in application. It represents an attempt to express in terms of expected behavior the principles set forth in the 13th article of our faith, 
We believe in being honest, true, chaste, benevolent, virtuous, and in good, doing good to all men. If there's anything virtuous, lovely, or of good report or praiseworthy, we seek after these things. That, I submit, is a remarkable statement. I know of none other which, if followed, will more surely lead to behavior which is ennobling, reasonable, practical, and uplifting. Perhaps we may not always be able to measure up to all of its implications, but we can make the effort. As Robert Browning said, a man's reach should exceed his grasp, or what's a heaven for? Is observance of the code too much to expect from any of us? I think not. Every one of you who is enrolled in this great institution, everyone who is a member of its faculty or its staff, is a part of a family unique and unusual. You are, in a very real sense, a chosen people. You have been selected through a rigorous process and found to be deserving of what this institution has to offer. That offering includes the opportunity for a first-class education on the part of students and a wonderful teaching environment and challenge for the faculty. Much has been given, much is expected, and I am grateful to be able to say that the response on the part of the faculty and students is overwhelmingly in full and complete accord with the principles of the Honor Code as well as the dress and grooming standards. I wish to thank you for the manner in which you confront the intellectual challenges you meet every day. I thank you for making this institution as a city set upon a hill whose light cannot be hid. I am sorry that we cannot accommodate all who wish to come here, but I am grateful that the university is so successful in accomplishing its twin objectives of imparting first-class secular education combined with the teaching and advocacy of the gospel of Jesus Christ that many more than we can possibly accommodate wish to come and drink at these waters. Now I'm going to take the risk of talking briefly about each of these five general elements which I mentioned go into the honor code. I hope you will not think I'm simply moralizing. I hope you will not feel that I'm just one more in a long procession of preachers advocating today a return to old values. No. We are not returning. These values have always been taught here and are taught here now. I anticipate they will always be taught here. And you have become, by the goodness of your living, the shining example of the virtue of such values. I begin with a single, simple word, honesty. We even believe in being honest and true. Walter Lippmann once said, you don't have to preach honesty to men with a creative purpose. Let a human being throw the energies of his soul into the making of something, and the instinct of workmanship will take care of his honesty. 
A genuine craftsman will not adulterate his product. The reason isn't because duty says he shouldn't, but because passion says he couldn't. It is interesting to me to note that five of the Ten Commandments, dealing essentially with honesty in its broadest sense, thou shalt not kill. It is an act of the worst kind of dishonesty to take away the life of another. Thou shalt not commit adultery. Adultery involves rank dishonesty. It becomes a betrayal of the solemn covenants of marriage. Thou shalt not steal. Stealing is obviously an act of dishonesty. It covers the whole broad field of theft, of cheating, of plagiarism, of lying, of deceit, of taking to oneself that which belongs to another. It is reprehensible, inexcusable, and a violation of a standard of conduct that lies at the bedrock of civilization. Thou shalt not bear false witness against thy neighbor. Falsehood is dishonesty, the malicious spreading of untrue accusations in an effort to injure another is the most vicious kind of dishonesty. Said Shakespeare, good name in man and woman is the immediate jewel of their souls. Who steals my purse steals trash, but he that filches from me my good name robs me of that which not enriches him and makes me poor indeed. Thou shalt not covet. Coveting is dishonest in its nature. It partakes of greedy desire to have that which belongs to another. It is evil because it leads to evil consequences. Can there be any question why those who partake of the blessings of this great institution should not subscribe to a code of honesty? The same question may be raised concerning charity. Charity, as Moroni reminds us, is the pure love of Christ. It embraces kindness, a reaching out to lift and help, the sharing of one's bread if need be, a spirit of civility in dealing with others. As Paul reminds us, charity never faileth. I rented a house once to a graduate student from the Midwest who had come to work on a doctorate in physics under Dr. Thomas B. Parmalee, then at the University of Utah. Dr. Parmalee is still alive in his 90s, a dear friend. This student said to me, he's the most remarkable teacher I've ever known. He has a sense of charity coupled with an expectation of excellence. He will not let a student fail. When he has a student who is having a difficult time, he assigns an A-grade student to work with him. The result is that the one who is stumbling comes to understanding and proficiency, and the one who serves without fee as tutor gains a better knowledge of the subject and develops a wonderful sense of service and kindness toward others. This is the essence of charity, to extend without price a helping, lifting hand to those in need. 
Charity also includes the element of civility toward others. Civility is the root of the word civilization. It carries with it the essence of courtesy and politeness and consideration of others. How very much of it we have lost in our contemporary society. The lack of it is found in the endless barrage of fault-finding and criticism spewed forth by media columnists and commentators. Lack of civility is often the cause of death and injury on the highway. It is the smirk of arrogance worn by many who think themselves superior in intellect, in riches, in station in life. Oh, how we need to cultivate a greater measure of civility in our society. I move to the element of purity in the honor code. I need not belabor it. Every man and woman here knows what is expected. Each of you knows that with the, that with the strength which comes from prayer and the self-discipline that comes of practice, you can hold to the standards that you know to be right. Among the most provocative books I've read through the years is one published back in 1968, authored by Will and Ariel Durant. They had previously written 10 large volumes of the story of civilization. This little book, their last, contained the wisdom distilled out of that vast acquaintance with history. Speaking out of that experience, they wrote, quote, No one man, however brilliant or well-informed, can come in one lifetime to such fullness of understanding as to safely judge and dismiss the customs or institutions of his society. For these are the wisdom of generations after centuries of experiment in the laboratory of history. A youth boiling with hormones will wonder why he should not give full freedom to his sexual desires. And if he is unchecked by custom, morals, or laws, he may ruin his life before he matures sufficiently to understand that sex is a river of fire that must be banked and cooled by a hundred restraints if it is not to consume in chaos both the individual and the group. I need not say more than that on that matter. I move to the standard of modesty described in the code. We live in an age when there is so much of sloppy dress, sloppy grooming, and sloppy manners. We live in an era when much of dress and behavior are provocative, intended to invite curiosity and stir carnal desire. I recognize that some have strong feelings concerning standards of dress and conduct. I can only say that in every game we play, we play by the rules. I hope you will not look upon the dress and grooming code as repressive. It has been designed with another objective in mind. Our leaders have taught through the generations that cleanliness is next to godliness. Neatness in dress, cleanliness in person. Are these too much to ask of a student body of this kind of young men and women who carry in their hearts a conviction 
that you are indeed sons and daughters of God, our eternal Father. I want to tell you that it is a refreshing experience for visitors who have been on other campuses to come here and note the difference in you, the students of BYU, whether it be in the length of your hair, in the laundered look of your dress, in the modesty of your appearance, you add so much to the remarkable and exceptional environment of this institution. In matters of dress, we wish neither silks nor grags. We seek for the clean look, call it a wholesome look, the bright and happy look of young men and women who walk with a sense of who they are, of what is expected of them, and of what they might become. The final item in the code, commitment. It involves loyalty. It involves duty. It involves determination of objectives and resolution to meet those objectives. It involves giving oneself without reservation to the accomplishment of a good and great purpose. Wrote Ralph Waldo Emerson, so nigh is grandeur to our dust, so near is God to man. When duty whispers, lo, thou must, the youth replies, I can. Every one of you who has come here has made a commitment to give your time, to give your strength and energy, to work with singleness of purpose, to educate your mind, your heart, your hands, and your spirit, so that by coming here to learn, you may go forth to serve. I know of no greater words of commitment than these given by the Lord. And if your eye be single to my glory, your whole body shall be filled with light, and there shall be no darkness in you. And that body which is filled with light comprehendeth all things. What tremendous power there is in commitment. What tremendous strength there is in singleness of purpose. What marvelous results follow commitment made to the glory of God and followed with the promise that that body which is filled with the light of Christ comprehendeth all things. Every return missionary here is familiar with these words that speak of commitment. Therefore, O ye that embark in the service of God, see that ye serve him with all your might, mind, and strength that ye may stand blameless before God at the last day. Yours, I remind you, is the unique and wonderful opportunity to come to this great university, here to learn at the feet of a dedicated faculty, that knowledge of a secular nature which will qualify you to fill a place of honor and usefulness in the society of which you will become a part. Further, while in that process to draw near to God, as you increase your knowledge concerning him and his eternal purposes, how great is your privilege, how strong must be your commitment. My beloved young friends, I wish to thank you for the goodness of your lives, for your desire to learn, for your willingness to live by the rules, for your commitment to the great cause of which each of you is a part. We speak of standards and codes and principles. I commend to you these great words of Solomon. Quote, 
These six things doth the Lord hate, yea, seven are an abomination unto him, a proud look, a lying tongue, and hands that shed innocent blood, and heart that deviseth wicked imaginations, feet that be swift in running to mischief, a false witness that speaketh lies, and he that soweth discord among brethren. My son, keep thy father's commandment, and forsake not the law of thy mother. For the commandment is a lamp, and the law is a light, and reproofs for instruction are the way of life. As presently is pointed out, it is customary for the president of the church, or at his request, one of his counselors, to speak to you at the opening of the school season. I come with that delegation of authority and responsibility. President Hunter sends his love and blessing to you. I hope that you will hear from him later in the season. I assure you of my love and of my prayers that the Lord will smile with favor upon you as you walk worthy of his blessings. May your minds be open. May your understanding be broadened. May your appreciation and respect for all men strengthen. May your love, love for knowledge increase. May you walk in virtue. And may these be days rich and unforgettable as you experience the great and wonderful blessings be had here. I know that you pray for us, and I thank you for that. Please know that we pray for you, and now do so in the name of him who is the light of all truth, the epitome of all goodness, even the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. You've been listening to the Classic Speeches podcast presented by BYU Speeches. Please check out our other podcasts, including recent speeches, updated weekly with new talks given on BYU campus, as well as other speeches compilations on love and marriage, overcoming adversity, by study and by faith. Come follow me, the prophet Joseph Smith, and Jesus Christ, our Savior and Redeemer. Go to speeches.byu.edu and click on podcasts for more information. You can also find all BYU Speeches podcasts at your preferred podcast provider.